take a Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 3. We're right in the middle of Peter preaching to a crowd of Jews, amazed at the, the healing of a lame man who was over 40 years old. He had been lame all of his life. Uh, and this particular healing signals something huge. Uh, the healing, Peter says, is, is proof that God glorified his servant, Jesus. And this healing is also a foretaste of the holistic liberation Jesus won for us through his death on the cross. Isaiah said he bore our illnesses, he carried our sorrows, and most important, he took away our sin to bring us to God. Uh, Peter is going to develop more of this holistic liberation that we find in Jesus Christ and what our response to that liberation should be, namely repentance, turning to the Lord. So let's, let's hear the word of the Lord, starting in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ... Appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word, and we're grateful for this time together in your word. Perhaps some of us have missed time in your word this week. I pray that this would be a time in the word that is rich for them. And would stir their affections for Christ. I pray that for those of us who are burdened by sin and guilt, we would find relief and refreshment through the Spirit applying the work of Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Peter has one agenda in this message, and that is to exalt Christ so that all people see him as the one whom God lifted up and then to turn to the crowd and persuade them to respond to him in repentance. Uh, You can see it in verse 19. Repent and turn again. He is persuading them to respond to this glorified Christ this way. Why? Well, this healing that they've just seen, this, this healing of this lame man, was evidence that God glorified Jesus. He lifted up Jesus as king. He sat him at his right hand. And this king's, his kingdom is coming. It is breaking into the world to heal it from all sickness and sin. Now, if all that's true, that the king is alive, that, the king, that his kingdom is coming, uh, these Jews have a major problem. Uh, according to verses 13 to 15, we, we looked at these last week, the, these Jews delivered over Jesus to Pilate, they denied him, and then they killed him. They rejected the one God vindicated. By opposing Jesus, they have opposed God. They stand as God's enemies. So that's a big problem. But all hope is not lost. Uh, Peter gives them the bigger picture in verses 17 to 18. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Meaning, God fulfilled his promise by way of their ignorance. They didn't know it, but God was fulfilling his word all along. Uh, In some sense, we could put Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, over over the cross of Jesus. That you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The crucifixion of Jesus was not an accident. It was God's sovereign design. Whether that's Moses explaining the the Passover lamb uh, or David speaking about his own sufferings as a king in the Psalms or Isaiah speaking about the suffering servant or Zechariah speaking about the pierced one or the crushed shepherd. All of these prophets... God foretold through all these prophets that his Christ would suffer and he would suffer for sinners. So he's trying to reason with these Jews. You know, yes, you acted in ignorance. Yes, you're still responsible. Yes, you're guilty. But know this, God had a plan to save you even before you rebelled. You might have crucified him, but ultimately it was God offering his son for you. Repent, therefore, and turn again. So there is hope he's holding out for them. We looked at repentance some in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Repentance is a theme that we'll keep returning to in the book of Acts. It, 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 was, it was very it was part of their basic gospel preaching, this repentance. And as it was in Jesus' ministry, so it is here, repentance is a response to the king and his coming kingdom. 
Okay, the healing they just witnessed manifested God's kingdom drawing near. So it's time to repent. God glorified his servants, so we best submit ourselves to him. God fulfilled the prophecies about his servant dying for our sins, so the time to respond is now. Repentance is more than just agreeing with God in our mind. Uh, Throughout Scripture, repentance affects our inner motives, our desires. The, The concept is very close to the idea of the Old Testament idea of turning to the Lord. Uh, we alluded to this in chapter 2, but Peter makes it very explicit in verse 19. If you look at it again, he says, Repent and turn again. Acts will later use this, this language to speak of, of the Gentiles turning to the Lord. Paul will use it in his preaching to speak of, of the Gentiles turning from darkness to light. Uh, at, the, at the very end of Acts, uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah 6.10 showing how, how true healing from the Lord comes when, when we turn to the Lord from the heart, from, from within, our, our inner self. The language of turning shows that repentance is relational. Repentance is a matter of turning to the Lord. Repentance is not merely feeling bad about your sin. It's not merely saying you're sorry for what you did. It's not just getting rid of the sins that frustrate you the most. Central to repentance is turning to the Lord Himself. Now, is holy behavior part of walking out repentance? Absolutely. Will repentance produce confessions like... I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Absolutely. Will we take extreme measures, gouging out eyes, cutting off hands to keep from sinning again? Yes. But beneath those external changes must be the person of Christ treasured. Repentance is incomplete if there's no turning to the Lord Himself. Behavioral change that's divorced from a relationship with Christ is mere moralism and it is just as damning. True repentance is relational. It's a renewed internal affection for the Lord Himself, for His kingdom, for His passions, for His priorities, such that we reorient our entire lives around Him. Having said that, many of us could walk away with a better definition of repentance and never actually repent. We could walk away with a better understanding of repentance without ever turning to the Lord. And that's a dangerous place to be spiritually. And I say it's dangerous because without repentance, God will banish us from His people. Repentance is necessary. We'll come back to verses 19 to 21 in a minute, but... I want to point out the necessity of repentance that appears in verses 22 to 23. He says in verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Moses is... 
One of the prophets that spoke about Christ. Peter quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 18 here, verse 15. And Deuteronomy 18 is about God raising up a future prophet like Moses. And as Moses did, this this prophet would reveal God's will for his people and lead the people out of slavery. Moses' words shaped the covenant people. Peter is saying Jesus' words shape the new covenant people. He is leading the new covenant people out of bondage to sin. In the the old covenant, you listened to Moses, you obeyed God, you were part of the covenant people. Under the new covenant, you listened to Jesus, you're part of the covenant people. You're not banished, you're not cut off. Peter is saying that Jesus is the ultimate prophet like Moses. Peter joins the rest of the New Testament that presents Jesus as the prophet superior to Moses. He brings in the better covenant. He is the ultimate revealer of God's will and the ultimate deliverer of God's people. Not listening to Jesus, therefore, has serious consequences. Peter says, every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Now, there's something very interesting going on here. Because Peter started quoting from Deuteronomy 18 about the prophet Moses. And then he brings in a text from Leviticus 23, verse 29. Which is a text on the Day of Atonement. There is a threat mentioned, if you don't listen to Moses, in Deuteronomy 18, but that's not the one Peter uses. He uses the one from Leviticus 23, the Day of Atonement. So he's combining a passage on the final prophet with a passage on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement had to do with with God, uh, God providing a covering for sin and removing sins from the people. But if you failed to participate in the Day of Atonement... Leviticus 23, verse 29 says that God would cut you off from his people. You would keep your sins and pay the penalty for them yourself, in other words. By bringing in a text dealing with the atonement, Peter is making a bold point. Not listening to Jesus will mean you're like the person for whom there is no atonement. You will have no covering for your sin, in other words. To to ignore Jesus is to keep your sins and pay the penalty for them yourself. In other words, God will banish you from his covenant people. He will banish you from his covenant blessings. Why is that? Why does not listening to Jesus mean no atonement for your sins? Because Jesus is the atonement for our sins. He is not only the supreme prophet, he is the supreme priest. If you reject his prophetic word, then you reject what his prophetic word reveals about his priestly work. Peter is trying to say, listen to this one who has already given himself for you. Listen to this prophet. Turn to the Lord so that you're not banished. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is also... A gift of God's grace. It is a gift of God's grace. 
We're going to look now at verses 24 to 25. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You were the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now this is fascinating because last week we were seeing that Jesus is the one who fulfills the suffering servant passages in Isaiah. He just said that Jesus is the final prophet like Moses. And now we're seeing that Jesus is the true offspring of Abraham. All these lines, these trajectories are are finding their, their consummation in the person of Christ. God's promise to Abraham to bless all families finds its fulfillment in the coming of Christ. He's he's trying to get these Jews, these physical descendants of of Abraham, to wake up. God promised you immense blessings in Abraham. And with the coming of Christ, he's saying, they are here in him. They are here. They are available to you now. But notice the particular blessing he mentions here. In verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, he sent him to you first, that is the Jews, that God promised these blessings to, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. To bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So God turning us from our wickedness is part of the blessing. This has been his plan. It's his gift. He's going to create for himself a people, a holy people, by turning them away from wickedness. It sets them apart from the world for himself. See, a lot of times when we think of God's blessings, we we think merely in terms of the material. Money, wealth, health, food, family, a nice job, nice weather, a smooth ministry, and so forth. And all these things are good gifts that God creates for us to enjoy. But don't miss that one of God's primary blessings is turning us from the very things that are harming our relationship with Him. See, our greatest problem isn't the lack of material or physical blessings or success in this world. Our greatest problem is wickedness. Our greatest problem is all that separates us from God. God blesses us by turning us from that wickedness. What happens when he turns us from that wickedness? He turns us to himself. He gives us himself, which is the greatest gift of all. What sort of wickedness is in you? Do you love money way too much? Are you bitter and full of resentment toward others? Do you fear people and love their approval more than God's? Has food become an idol? 
Is comfort ruling your decisions in life? Are you choosing pornography and sexual immorality over Christ? Are you in the habit of making uncharitable judgments about others? Maybe putting on a facade of smiles while hatred fills your heart. Are you lazy with engaging the world for Christ? Are you choosing to be angry with just about anybody who gets in your way? You see, wickedness has all kinds of forms. Some of our wickedness people will never see or know about because we're so good at hiding it and too ashamed to mention it. Or, frankly, we're just blind to it. The twisted thoughts and desires are there. The truth is that we must turn away from that wickedness or God promises to banish us from His people. This is what Jesus came preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We must listen to Him. But the good news here is that in Christ, God's grace grants what He also demands. Turning away from wickedness is His gift to us. It's God's blessing to all of Abraham's true children. It's His gift to all who are united to Jesus by faith. Jesus came to turn us from our wickedness to God. We can't do that on our own, but in Christ we can. In Christ we can repent. Not because of power that's inherent to us or that becomes inherent to us, but because of the power that is inherent to Christ who is in us through the Spirit. By the Spirit, He enters into our lives and He turns the heart to God. And this news of God's grace in Christ then gets even better. Not only does God's grace supply what He also demands, God's grace rewards the repentance that He causes in the first place. Let's head back now to verses 19 to 21 where Peter gives them three incentives to repent. These incentives flow from Jesus' finished work on the cross. Uh, Verse 18 said that God fulfilled His word, that the Christ would suffer, therefore repent. Okay, so it's Palm Sunday today, a day we set aside to remember Christ riding into Jerusalem to claim His kingdom, not with a bloody sword, but with His own bloodied body given on the cross. And this blood, first of all, wins for us complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. When we repent and turn to the Lord, we gain God's complete forgiveness. Look in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. What does it mean for our sins to be blotted out? Well, Jews who were familiar with uh, their their, their scriptures might have recalled David's words in Psalm 51. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. There's this idea, this sense in which 
God accounts for all of our sins. They're all before him, listed out. We can't hide. We're exposed before him. And they have these, these, all of these sins have consequences. They have consequences. They separate us from God. They mean death, judgment. And David is asking for God to erase them from history altogether. Make them disappear. The same idea appears in the New Testament. In Colossians 2, verse 14, Paul speaks of a written record. If you want to look at it with me. Colossians 2. I'll start reading in verse 13. and Go to verse 15. It says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. So that word there, canceling, is the same one Peter uses, blot out. He blotted out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul speaks of a written record of our debt before God. This written record contains penalty clauses for every infraction of God's moral law. So for every wrong we do, and the list is quite long, we stand guilty and sentenced to death. And this passage is picturing it that it's even something the devil can use against us and hold over our heads to accuse us. But the whole reason Paul brings it up in Colossians is to say that in Jesus' death, God canceled, he blotted out that written record. And in the first century, the ink used on ancient papyrus, wouldn't etch itself into the material. It sat on top. It's like writing on wax paper. Blotting it out was to take a sponge and wipe the document clean. And so also here and in Colossians, when we repent and when we turn to Christ as our Savior, God so wipes away our sins that there remains no trace of them. The sin is gone. The guilt for the sin is gone. The reminders of the sin, it's all wiped away in Christ. Not just crossed out. I just crossed out and God still holds that list of sins. Hey, don't forget this one and don't forget this one and don't forget this one. If that's how you're viewing God's love and the extent of Jesus' work on the cross, then you're missing the beauty of the true gospel. The true gospel says that in Christ your sins are blotted out and your penalty was paid for in total by Christ so that it's all gone. It's erased forever and never will it be used against you again. This is why the devil is put to open shame. He ain't got nothing anymore to accuse us before God. God canceled it on the cross. And that means God himself is 100% for you. 
which leads to refreshment, doesn't it? Let's move to that next. We gain the Spirit's refreshment. Verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So this is another incentive to repent. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. By times of refreshing, Peter doesn't mean here mere instances of refreshment. He means the inauguration of an entire age characterized by refreshment. Now some people will limit this age of refreshment to the coming kingdom. Just It's only the future kingdom. But these times of refreshing are the same as these days in verse 24. These days that the prophet spoke of. These days that Peter was saying are here. It's part of the reason why it's times of refreshing. Plural. They started now. They go to the kingdom later. But the obvious point is that the times of refreshing have already begun. They're already here in part. It's the entire age brought in by Jesus' death and resurrection and the gift of His Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, who is it that brings the presence of God? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He comes from the presence of God and He is the presence of God. Yes, there's a sense in which that final, ultimate refreshment of a new heaven and a new earth is still coming. But through the Spirit, the refreshment of the age to come can be experienced now in part. Through the Spirit. And the way the Spirit does this is by applying Jesus' finished work on the cross to our hearts. Let me list just a few ways the New Testament presents the Spirit bringing us refreshment. We alluded to one already, but the Spirit works to lift the burden of sin. The weight of condemnation off of our shoulders. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he means freedom from the law's condemnation. He lifts it. Romans 5.5 teaches that the Holy Spirit confirms God's love for us in the gospel so that we don't lose hope in suffering. God's love, it says, has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Where was God's love demonstrated? On the cross. Calvary. And we see that love and God saying... All the benefits of Jesus' death, where we see God's love demonstrated, all the benefits of God's love get poured out into our hearts now in this life so that we can endure suffering. We can endure our trials. John's Gospel speaks of the Spirit in the believer as living water, as, as a well springing up to eternal life. What is eternal life? John, Jesus says... It is to know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. We don't have to wait for the kingdom to drink living water. You get the kingdom, right? Zechariah 14. There's living water flowing from the throne of the king in Jerusalem. Revelation 7-7 speaks of this living water. Chapter 21 and 22 speak of the living water flowing from the Lamb. 
But Zechariah 14, Revelation, they're talking about the kingdom to come. But Jesus, what's he tell the woman at the well when she asked him for a drink? Oh, if you knew when he asked her for a drink, if you knew who it was that said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. Meaning the blessings of the age to come are available now in Christ through the Holy Spirit, which becomes in the believer a well springing up to eternal life. We know God. We have fellowship with God. Romans 8, verse 15. The Spirit assures us of God adopting us into His family. There's refreshment in knowing you're, you're not an orphan anymore. In Christ, God has adopted you. Romans 15, 13. The Spirit empowers us to abound in hope. Acts 9, 31. The Spirit comforts the church in a time when the persecution was increasing. On and on the New Testament goes with different ways the Spirit is bringing this refreshment of the new age in Christ. You know those seasons in life where things are tense and the demands are great and... And the nights are long and, and maybe the Lord gives you a little pause with a dear friend. Maybe you have a special place you enjoy sitting on the, on the back porch. Maybe the kids are sleeping and, and you look up at the stars and the grandeur of God's night. Maybe you're enjoying a, a favorite drink. And just for a moment you breathe a sigh of relief. And you feel refreshed by that moment. God's Spirit brings that kind of refreshment for our spirits as He applies the victory in Christ's death and resurrection. And it's not just moments that He does it. He starts now for the believer and He continues forever. why he's called the guarantee of our inheritance. The last incentive here for repentance is that we gain Christ who is restoring all things. We gain Christ who is restoring all things. Verse 20. He says, And... That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. God has promises for Israel's restoration. A new kingdom, a restored land, a holy city, a united people, riches in a new heaven and a new earth. The Messiah was going to bring them this restoration in the Old Testament. Peter is telling them that, hey, Jesus is their Messiah. And in one sense, the time for restoring Israel has begun. Their Messiah has taken the throne already. He has sent His Spirit already. The blessings of the age to come are crashing into the presence. There's forgiveness of sins now. The times of refreshing are here. The days have arrived. Look, there's a lame man leaping over there in the temple. But there's another sense in which their full restoration won't take place until Jesus returns. Verse 
Peter is telling Jesus, I mean, Peter is telling these Jews to, to hasten that restoration by turning to their Messiah. We don't talk about this very often, do we? But there's a sense in which our obedient response to the gospel hastens the day of Christ in the New Testament. I'll give you a very clear example in 2 Peter 3.16. He says, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? That doesn't compromise God's sovereignty. He knows the day and the hour of Christ's return. But he also designs into that sovereign plan repentance as a means of bringing that day to fruition, which tells us that if we're not repenting, we don't really want to see Jesus. We got better things to do than see Jesus and his kingdom. He's saying these Jews, hasten the restoration by turning to the Messiah, giving your life to him, devoting yourself to his work. We also shouldn't ignore the Jewishness of Peter's appeal here. Jesus is Messiah of the Jews first. The promises of the restoration were made to Abraham's descendants. But the Jewishness of his appeal should make us all the more grateful for Christ, who is the true seed of Abraham. Because we, Johnny-come-lately Gentiles, get to participate in that restoration of God's people. Paul talks about this in Romans 11, that the fullness of the Gentiles must come in, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. If, If we repent and if we turn to Jesus... We gain Christ, too, who is restoring all things. We gain their Messiah, which is wonderful. Wonderful news. Because the covenants and the promises and everything else weren't made to us. They were made to Israel. And Christ is the true Israel. The true seed of Abraham. By believing in him, we gain those promises. Let me ask you a question. If Christ is restoring all things, if one day he will return and transform the earth into a cosmic garden sanctuary for his throne where all nations will find healing in his presence, does he have the power to restore you right now? He's going to transform the cosmos. He can can transform things in your life. Can, Can he bring refreshment to your weary soul today? You bet he can. Don't turn to the world for refreshment and restoration. Don't turn to all the self-help books and programs that wax so eloquently about finding yourself and discovering the better you. There is no better you to discover. The deeper you look within for restoration, the more broken you will become. We are the problem to begin with. We are the problem to begin with. Our sin is the reason the world is broken and needs to be restored. 
True refreshment and restoration are found outside of us in Christ. We're incapable of helping ourselves. Only God can turn us from wicked desires and bring us spiritual refreshment. Only Christ can restore our humanity and turn the upside-down world right side up. We saw that in the healing of the lame man, where everything that was out of joint, Christ in an instant, put to right. So turn to the Lord to gain true refreshment and restoration at last. He begins with wiping away your sins and lifting the burden of your guilt. Something else I want us to take away is this. See Christ in the Old Testament with the apostles. See Christ in the Old Testament with the apostles. With every sentence, Peter links Jesus with something promised in the Old Testament. And that's now being fulfilled through his glorification. He, he mentions all the prophets and he gives a few examples like Moses, Samuel, and all who came after Samuel. That's two-thirds of your Old Testament right there. Moses and all the prophets is two-thirds of your Old Testament. You've got the law, the prophets, and the writings. He just gave us law and prophets. In chapter 2, he gave us the Psalms as part of the writings. They're all bearing witness to Jesus, and that's just from one speech in Acts. The point is that Jesus fulfills all of God's saving promises, and we will understand our Bibles to the degree that we comprehend that. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You think that, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have, you have life. It is all these that are bearing witness to me. Jesus is the goal of all scripture and the key to understanding the scriptures Truly, if you bypass Jesus, you will not understand the Old Testament. I don't know if this is a perfect illustration, but that would be like reading the Chronicles of Narnia while ignoring Aslan. It doesn't make any sense. Take the further revelation that we have from the apostles and read the Old Testament through that lens. This will also help you preach the gospel to our neighbors in other religions like Judaism, Islam, and Mormonism. These religions make use of the Old Testament in other ways. But they overlook or misconstrue God's final Revelation in Christ. Christ is the true and final prophet we must listen to or we perish. Lastly, walk in repentance as God's covenant people. Walk in repentance as God's covenant people. God's new covenant people are characterized by repentance. This is not just a one thing a one-time deal that you do at the start of your Christian life. It's something that you keep doing. You keep repenting. As God, as you see more of God's holiness and see more of your sin, 
you repent and you keep turning to Christ. What makes us different from the world isn't that we're not sinners, but that Christ forgives us and work and is at work in us to turn us away from our sins to himself. In fact, one of the reasons we practice church discipline is that the church is a people who repent. The process of corrective discipline only sets in when we refuse to repent, when we walk in manners that say, I'd rather have my sin than Christ. Otherwise, we walk out repentance here together, even when it's hard and it hurts. Some of you are stuck in sinful patterns, and these words exhort us to repent and turn again to the Lord. Don't think you're okay just because you said the prayer when you were six, or just because you go through the motions of churchianity. The true children of Abraham turn away from their sins. And if you're not, and you have no desire to, then you need to seriously consider whether the Spirit is present in you, and whether you know the Lord. He stands ready to save you today, just as He stood ready to save these Jews who crucified Jesus. Isn't it amazing that He's telling these things to Jews who crucified Jesus? He will blot out that kind of sin. Some of you have thrown up your hands in the fight of faith. You wonder whether change is even possible anymore. This passage says, yes, change is possible because God blesses His people by turning them from their wickedness. Cry to Him for help. Pray for strength in the fight. Look again to the cross where you already died in Christ and that old sinful self was laid in the grave to stay there forever. And then look again to his resurrection. Christ, When Christ rose from the dead, he seated you with him in the heavenly places. And it's in that strength that we turn away from sin. And walk in righteousness. Every grace that we need to overcome sin is available in Christ. Sometimes we need help connecting those dots from this good news of the gospel to these very specific things in our lives. And that's, guess what? I want you to look around because that's what each of you... Are for. You were given to each other as God's gift of grace to help you persevere in the faith and help you turn away from sin. He puts us in each other's lives to be conduits of grace in the battle against sin. And then don't lose hope. The restoration that Jesus has begun, he also will complete. How do we know this? The Spirit is here, folks. The Holy Spirit has already been poured out. He is the guarantee of the coming age. There is coming a day when all the ransomed church of God will be saved to sin no more. Turn to the Lord now and encourage others around you to do the same so that God's kingdom on earth may come as it is in heaven. Let's pray.